Hello, and welcome to One Real Good Thing, where we dive into one thing you can do today to propel your life in a healthy direction. I'm Ellie Krieger, and in this episode, Alex Guernicelli is here to share her best tricks for fixing mistakes in the kitchen. She's the host of two primetime Food Network shows, Supermarket Stakeout and Alex vs. America. She's a cookbook author and executive chef of Butter in New York City. Yes, even iron chefs like her mess up sometimes, but knowing how to recover from mistakes can take the stress out of cooking and help you eat healthier. Listen. Alex Guernicelli is here. I'm so happy to have you here, Alex. It means so much to me. And you know what? Everyone knows you're an incredibly talented and skilled chef, of course, but I don't think people realize, and I need to tell people from my own voice, how totally kind and genuine you are and how much I appreciate your generosity over the years. I know I'm going to like embarrass you, but I just have to. I've gotten to know Alex through the Food Network, through events and things like that, but we really, I think, connected both doing this charity event together for SHARE, which is an organization of women supporting women in facing breast and ovarian cancer. And we wound up kind of cooking together. Well, I was helping her as her sous chef. That was, I feel like, where we really connected. And I just want you to know how much I appreciate your friendship and your being here today too. So that's an event that I did every year, I think like you, since the event's inception. And it really was, I remember going the first year and feeling really apprehensive about it because the woman-on-woman crime rate can be pretty high. And I just thought, you know, what's this going to be like? I don't know if I've ever really, it was maybe one of the first times I was in a room with all women like that. And yeah, you just always stood out. And I remember thinking like, oh, at first, you know, when I didn't know you, I'm like, that's the woman that does all the healthy stuff. And she's going (laughs) to be mad at me because I use so much butter. And, you know, you have people that are in the healthy lifestyle and food space that can be judgy, even when they don't mean to be, they can be marginalizing without meaning to be. And you are none of that ever. Thank Um, you. Yeah. It's important. Yeah. Totally not judgy and not marginalizing. And in the same, on the flip side of that, I think you as a chef, I think one of the things that I admire so much is that you're such a good teacher for like real life people, which is one of the reasons why I really wanted to have you on today. And I, I, your real life approach, you're very sound and not elitist about your approach at all. And also you're an excellent teacher in the way you explain things. So you're one real good thing actually, uh, which is to learn to fix food mistakes for more kitchen confidence. Because I know you really try to inspire people to have more confidence in the kitchen. And ultimately that can help them be healthier. If you feel like you can cook and you have the tools that it takes to do what you need to do in the kitchen, then you're more likely to cook. And if you're more likely to cook, then you're more likely to eat better. It's just sort of a natural progression. So that's you know, a gift that you may not even realize you're giving people that you're helping them eat healthier. Although I know you realize that. Um, but when I was watching your new show, Alex versus America, which is such a fun show, by the way, and it really shows your chops as an amazing cook and a particularly competitive cook that way. But I was kind of blown away in the first episode, I think it was, where you cooked a steak, a tri-tip, I believe, and you, mm-hmm. and you cooked, you overcooked it. And then you were able to, to fix it. And I was thinking that's, flipping genius because most people, I think, have no idea that even incredible cooks sometimes mess up. (laughs) 
And then having the tools to be able to adapt to that is really what can kind of take the edge off the stress in the kitchen. And I really thought that was translatable for people. So I really was hoping to dive in with you today of some like common mistakes that people make potentially in the kitchen. Um, And I, I kind of listed a few of them and then tricks or ways to really turn it around, not so difficultly turn it around and make it delicious anyway. Right. So with the overcooking of the meat, so you did something in that episode to anyway, make it come out deliciously juicy anyway. So um, if someone overcooks their meat, what are some remedies there? I think if you're dealing with a lot of affordable cuts of meat, skirt steak, tri-tip, hanger steak, you have an opportunity there where you have an unbelievable flavor, right? I think we would agree the fancy pants beef tenderloin doesn't have the most beef flavor. But when you have those other cuts that do have the taste, just the deliciousness can help with the overcooked factor. Like it's overcooked, dot, 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 but it's so delicious, who cares? So there's that. There's the the inherent good of the ingredient that's working in your favor. But second of all, and I talk about this a lot, it's about your presentation and how you structure the dish. If you thinly slice meat that you overcook and you mix it with sautéed onions or even slices of raw tomato or something juicy and succulent, smashed cucumbers, and you add a little bit of, you know, like a little mustard or a little vinegar and you just prop it up, what happens is your mistake ends up shuffling to the back. And instead of sitting, you know, in the passenger seat of the car, it's in the back seat or it's in the trunk. So it's still there. We can't uncook things. You know, people are always like, oh, my God, it's overcooked. Okay, but how are you going to put it together? How are you going to structure and present it so that the person almost doesn't notice? And also the luck I had with that particular cut of meat on Alex versus America was that I overcooked two pieces and the, the other side was a little thicker. And the overcooked side was thinner, so I went to the thicker pieces. And that's another thing. If you have an uneven cut of meat, right, because Mother Nature makes things uneven, mix the bigger, less cooked pieces in with a few of the slices of the more cooked. And that way it's every few bites. So your brain almost says, wait, is this overcooked? Actually, I don't, your mind plays tricks on you. It's how you put it together and shuffle the cards in the deck. The eater, the person eating is probably too much enjoying the flavor to even think about that it's overcooked. Whereas you as the cook might be obsessing about it and definitely don't mention anything at the table, like make excuses for, I mean, Julia Child was sort of famous for that saying, don't make excuses for your food. Like just put it out there because all the things that are going through your mind about how minorly you may have overcooked it is probably not even dawning on the people enjoying it, especially if you use the tricks, as you say. And I think on the, um, so it's like, So just to like kind of recap what you're saying. So slice it thinly, serve it with the thicker parts, kind of mix it up. Intersperse Um, them. Yeah. Um, And then serving it with like kind of juicy seared ingredients like tomatoes and and saucy sort of, you know, dipping it in sauce even, which is what I think you did kind of like kind of zhuzhed it around in the sauce a bit too. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be like a big, heavy, fattening butter sauce. It can be as simple as a little bit of the little olive oil, a little mustard and a little water and a squeeze of lemon. And just throw it over that to give it a little succulence, more raw vegetables, a juicy tomato, some slight wedges of peach, some smashed up cucumbers. It doesn't have to be heavy. In fact, it's better when it isn't because it's more succulent and raw feeling. 
I love that. Um, what's really cool about these cheaper cuts of meat that you say they have so much more flavor. They also tend to be leaner. That's, that's true. healthful too. So there's a lot of things to win here. <laughs> Let's talk about if, if you add too much salt to a dish, to a soup, to a I sauce. I get this so much. I get this do it so much. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I oversalt stuff. It happens. Now here's my issue with this. A lot of people think adding hot sauce or sugar is going to offset and it may, but the price you pay is that your dish becomes so spicy or so sweet that it just feels unbalanced. And you may not love my answer, but I would say in most cases, take the raw ingredients of the dish and cook a little bit more of it without anything and add it back in. So things like tomato sauces. I get this all the time. I oversalted my chili. I oversalted my tomato sauce. I oversalted a soup or a stew. I'm more likely to smash up a bunch of raw tomatoes or even cook an onion or two in water and put some raw tomato and don't season it at all and just stir that unseasoned fruity vegetable-y pulp into your mix and don't add anything and just let it sit. You, I you, love you this wanna... answer. Why yeah. would I not like this? This is a great answer. I didn't even think of that because a lot of times people say, okay, well, if it's a soup or a chili or something, you could add just more water, which will just dilute things a little bit. But then many times you're just making it too watery then. So your answer, I really love because it's like adding more of the flavorful foods that's yeah, going to then bring back the salt. And raw add them raw and unseasoned. I mean, don't add a, a gallon of raw onions. The onions, <laughs> if, I, if I were adding to a chili or a sauce or a stew, I would cook the onions till they're tender and they've got that raw flavor cooked out, but without any seasoning at all. So they're super bland. And then you add them back in, but just adding water, you dilute the texture, Never mind the flavor. It's also the texture. It's like, it's not viscous and not rich the way it was and it just tastes like watered down salty food. Yeah. But it's not the e- what I my answer is not the easiest either. The other thing I often go to is the cooked chickpeas that are low sodium. I take them out of the can, I wash them of the aquafaba, the liquid, and I will puree those without any seasoning or maybe like a splash of coconut milk or water until they're completely smooth and then whisk some of that puree into the chili, the sauce, whatever. And that really chills out the salt also. Oh, that's a great idea. I also like to like blend up white beans in a soup or stew. And because they're white, you really, and same thing with chickpeas, you don't see it and it just adds thickness. And if you get the low, no salt added, then yeah, you're gonna, that's gonna help balance the salt. So, so great. I knew you would have the best suggestions, Alex. You were amazing. <laughs> uh, uh, let's just say, uh, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. I Probably no one's made this many mistakes either, statistically. <laughs> well, that's what they say. You know, you ha- that's what I forget. I think it's Michael Jordan who said that the reason how he got to be the champion that he is is by missing a lot of shots. He like said how many shots he missed in his life, three pointers and so on. And like in order to if you're going to be playing, you're going to be missing. It's just the way it works, right? It's it's a math equation. I mean, people are like, you burn stuff, you cut yourself. And I'm like, that's probability. It's a math. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. It's funny you bring up Michael Jordan because I do a lot of competing. I use him as an inspiration a lot. And he there's one commercial he did and he said, do you want to know the secret to victory? And then he like looks away from the camera and then looks back at the camera and he says, defeat. And I was like, oh my God. So in cooking, it's the same. 
you want a winning chili, you might have to fail at a few first. Right. And honestly, even the fail is going to be pretty good. So if you're a regular home cook and you're feeling like, oh no, I'm what if I mess it up? And that's what I'm trying to get people. So what, right? It's probably going to be pretty darn good in the end anyway, even if it's not exactly what you had hoped for. And you're going to learn from that and become better from it. But it's funny you say you burn things. Um, One thing I remember burning once because I used a pot that wasn't like a real, I was in college, I think, and I had like really bad pots and pans and I burned a soup when I was reheating it. So if you burn something, I wanted to kind of throw this out there. I remember trying to scrape up the burnt stuff and then my whole soup just tasted horrible, like burnt soup. So just transfer it to a different pot. That's another fix. Just transfer it out of there and leave the burnt stuff on the bottom and then wash it out. Um, and then your soup's going to taste fine. You know what? I, I don't know. That may be the one mistake you cannot fix. Cause yeah. once you burn it and you get that taste, it's even sometimes like you smell the burned and it's not even that much on your tongue or your palate. Burned is burned. When I burn something like on a food network show, for example, I just admit it right. And the producer's like, tell us what happened. What happened? And I'm like, I burned it and now it's in the garbage. So (laughs) shut it down. (laughs) They say, well, I do that with nuts a lot because when I'm toasting nuts, either they're not done, they're not done, they're not done, or they're burnt. (laughs) And I always say that's an offering to the food gods right there. So done. Yeah, Um, that's just penance. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So one of the things that I really love to do is just rename things, like kind of rebrand it. Like if I have a, let's say I'm making a pie crust or something, and then it just breaks in a million places and I'm patching it all up. Then I just call it a rustic tart, right? Mm -hmm. Or like a deconstructed whatever. Or if I'm making a flan and it doesn't come out of the dish and it's all too soft or something, then I'll serve it in a dish and just call it a pudding or a custard a custard really technically. So I think, I think that's sort of fun that you can kind of go for one dish and you can always rename it, kind of rebrand it to whoever you're serving it to. Have you ever had to do that? (laughs) Oh yeah. I mean, I think, you know, language is really important with food because it's a promise. So my philosophy is always keep your language super vague. (laughs) I'm not kidding. Keep it vague. And then they'll be like, wow, this is exactly what you said. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You should see my menu, my menu at the restaurants, like meat with vegetables. That's like, you know, that's how we want to describe stuff because you also like people get an idea in their head about how something should be. You use an iconic word like pie, as opposed to tart, as opposed to crostata, as opposed to any number of other things, you know, it's a promise. So you've got to be careful. Don't write checks. Your body can't cash. (laughs) I love it. Oh my gosh. I I love butter. So if you haven't been to Alex's restaurant, butter, it's in midtown Manhattan. It's so good. And I had there this cauliflower steak. I mean, you have all kinds of amazing things on the menu, but that cauliflower steak with the like nutty topping, herby topping with beautiful Mm -hmm. olive oil base. And it was just amazing. So I totally love that. I hope that stays on the menu forever. (laughs) Forever. That's my accidentally vegan dish, um, which is just the cauliflower is blanched, like cut into wedges, steaks, and then blanched. And then it's marinated in coconut milk. And then if you can believe it, it's baked, then it's grilled, and then it's broiled. So it literally has like, it is the most over spot treated cauliflower on the planet. But yeah, and then it's just topped with roasted like vegetables, like a mirepoix, some sherry dressing, um, yeah, some chili flakes. 
People oh, go I nuts. Think I thought I remembered nuts in there, but I, it must have just like that nuttiness from the coconut, like baked on there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so good. But um, so one last one I wanted to address and, and, and maybe there's more you want to address, but if something, well, actually too, if something's too bitter or if something's too spicy. So if something's too bitter, one thing I think people don't realize is that salt takes away bitter. So I think people normally think of salt as just being salty. And of course I try to, you know, minimize or use salt very much um, judiciously, I would say. But one of the things that I find is if I have a vegetable like greens that are just like very bitter, a little bit of extra salt sometimes like knocks that out. So I think that's one thing people don't realize if they remove too much salt, it sometimes lets the bitter compounds come through. So, um, so that's one bitter fix. I don't know if you have any more. I grew up in a house where my father added a tiny, a tiny pinch of sugar to bitter things. And I think what the sugar does is it leaves the bitterness there. And so you're biting and you get this bitterness, but then the sugar's like, like a little brought, like a little pat on the shoulder when you're not feeling, it's like a little encouraging, like you're going to get through this. Sugar doesn't mask the bitter, but it comes in as an alternative dimension to the bitter, which I like a lot. I also like some low acid vinegars like uh, sherry vinegar. I'm sorry, like rice wine vinegar that yeah. really can kind of chill out that bitterness and are healthy. I'm yeah, with well, you. Some of these, yeah. some of these uh, vinegars have some sweetness to them. Like even balsamic has a little sweetness already. So it may be even that element, that sweetness that's in there that might even be helping. But a little bit totally. of sugar, I think people should not be afraid of adding a little bit of sweetener, whether it's sugar or honey or a little maple syrup. I mean, it's fine. People get like nuts about this. And sometimes it can make the difference of those amazing, healthy vegetables tasting like you really want to eat them. Yep. And, and if it does that, then it's worth it, right? I mean, it makes perfect sense. So I think let's not get all or nothing about things, people, not you, <laughs> Alex, but I know you're not all or nothing, but I think people tend to think all or nothing or like freak out that the nutritionist is putting honey in, a, in some collard greens. <laughs> Here's my dilemma with honey and I love it so, but I read that a tablespoon, is it a teaspoon of honey has 60 calories or is it a tablespoon? Tablespoon. But it has the same, it has a little more calories sugar, right? actually than sugar. Yeah. It's an added sugar. It should be used judiciously. That's all, but just yeah. sparingly, but like a little drizzle of honey somewhere not mixed in you know, like on radicchio, just a mm. tiny drizzle of honey that's not stirred in. So you bite it, you're getting all this bitter. And then this little thread of tiny sprinkle of brown sugar, a dot of honey. You're right. If I'm eating a whole bowl of roasted radicchio because there's a tablespoon of honey on the whole thing, it's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. You're yeah. doing good for your body there. And then the last one, if something's too spicy, what do you do typically if you just add this too much hot sauce? This is a hard one. Now, it obviously depends on what it is. You know, people want a universal rule for everything. One of the things I find really helpful with spicy foods is dairy or something creamy. So coconut milk is good because, and obviously it's not dairy, because it's thick and it has that palate coating quality so that can mask overly spicy. I love sour cream, like a dollop, because it's tart and it's creamy. A tiny splash of heavy cream is like the easiest cheat in the world. Not butter, never butter. Butter illuminates, not yogurt. It's too far gone and too lean. So I would say something creamy that doesn't water anything down, but just chills out that uneven edge. 
either that or I go back to what I said to you earlier. And that is if it's a tomato sauce, add a few chopped up raw tomatoes sprinkled with a touch of sugar and salt, but no spice and stir them in. Give the vegetable or the base of whatever it is a little bit more of its natural flavor. Squash puree, pureed chickpeas, beans, lentils, whatever, a dollop of that will chill it out. Rice, a dollop of mashed potatoes that you have left over in your fridge from two days ago, throw it in there. That'll chill out the spice. Just those like kind of neutral foods that seem to almost be absorbent in some way. But there's Mm -hmm. actually a chemical reaction with dairy and capsation, which is the thing that makes peppers hot. If you're adding chili peppers or chili sauce, a hot sauce that is neutralized by dairy actually. So pretty much even a splash of milk would work. It's not necessarily even the fat in dairy. So I think that's kind of cool. And that's, I think why typically so many spicy foods are served with a little bit of like yogurt on it, like um, raita. So it's a more mellow yogurt, not a super, and, and typically maybe even a full fat yogurt would be better. But like in Indian food, it's why they use raita in Mexican food. One thing that helps with the sour cream, as you say. So that's kind of cool. I agree with you about the dairy. Here's the thing about milk and yogurt is that they pick up on the inherent sweetness more commonly in the base ingredients of whatever you're cooking. As an example, tomato sauce, You know how traditionally to a bolognese, you add a splash of milk at the end of the recipe. It's the sweetness of the milk that actually teases the sweetness of the tomato and brings it out. Whereas cream at the end is because it's got that extra fat, it dulls more. Mm. It's got a dulling effect. I agree with you. You could use milk, you could use yogurt, but the most effective things to my mind, are those palate coating because it's the psychology of the eating, I think, that's part of it. I totally agree with you, by the way. And let's face it. I mean, a splash of cream, honestly, you know, a little dollop of sour cream, a little sprinkle of cheese. I mean, it can make anything taste good, can it? And it's the same rule, like using it not heavy-handed as your first go-to, but using it to sort of like balance everything and smooth everything and enrich really healthful dishes. I mean, it works in the end. I mean, my whole philosophy of food is usually sometimes and rarely. So cream may be a rarely, but I'm going to use it in small amounts for maximum impact, as you say, and in correcting something to save the dish from being too spicy. Like, why wouldn't you, you know, if it's between that and not eating it? Yeah. It's worth <laughs> for it. sure. For sure. Well, I don't know if there's anything else you want to add. I so love talking with you and love having you here. No, I, I mean, it's funny. Like, it's as if you, you know, these are the questions I, you, you covered the questions I get a lot. People ask me also how to cook with less salt, but have things taste better. And of course I say things like spices, but another little rule of mine is I'll add a splash of vinegar to a lot of things. And a lot of times our palate where acidity begins and where saltiness ends and vice versa, there's a fine line. So an extra dot of vinegar or lemon juice or lime juice or whatever, that brute force acidity can actually give the illusion of a little more salt if you're trying to cook with less salt. So that's a big, that's a big rule of thumb for me when I'm trying to just cool it. Or, you know, instead of adding tons and tons of salt, I'll add a splash of Worcestershire or a splash of soy. And it goes farther, I think, because it has that deep cooked inherent, like, or a you know, a sprinkle of Parmesan cheese or Pecorino instead of its its similar weight in salt 
can be really impactful also. So subs for salt is a big thing I get asked about. No, that's fantastic. I completely agree about the acid. And also I think those ingredients you mentioned, Worcestershire, soy sauce, Parmesan, that's all umami. So that's all bringing that umami has those ingredients have an inherent saltiness, but I think the umami actually helps it feel more flavorful in that way. I love nutritional yeast, by the way. Oh yes. A sprinkle so of that. Good. Oh my God. It's so good. Where's that been my whole life? Oh yeah. I've got, <laughs> know, a, I've got a jar of that in my fridge and Ava's like, why is this so good? And I'm like, I don't know. And Put it on popcorn. That stuff rocks on popcorn. So good. Well, Alex, you're the best. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your being here. And I love it. Maybe you'll come on again soon. We'll have to do like a quarterly check-in for (laughs) fixes for mistakes. That would be great. I love it. All right. Thank you so much. Totally. Thanks for listening. I have learned so much today about fixing cooking flubs, and I hope you have too. And I also hope it makes you feel more fearless in the kitchen. Join me next time for another one real good thing.